Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Samuel 11? Previous chapter has set the scene for what happens in 2 Samuel 11. And verse 1 sort of sums it all up. You remember that, uh, okay, the son of the king had insulted David's messengers because he went to comfort the new king because his daddy died and the daddy was friendly to David and he insulted. It was like a declaration of war. So the Arameans, the Ammonites went to war and all this kind of stuff. Okay. So this is within the context of how this happened. And it was at the return of the year. Now, David, they tell us, scholars figuring it all out, tell us that David is about 50 years old at this point in his life. At the time of the going out of kings to battle, this means that the weather is warmer. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. That's where the Ammonites went to uh, escape and they, they uh, holed up in Rabbah, a fortified city, and the Israelites, this great army of David, would, would just surround the city and let the people run out of food and water and let the soldiers get weak, let the people get weak, and then they would storm the city. So this is the time when the army has surrounded this city and their final goal and purpose would be to destroy the Ammonites. They're the ones who started it, but they're going to make they're going to make an end to this war. So the army is has surrounded the city walls and they're just waiting. The Ammonites are afraid. They won't face them on the battlefield. So I don't know. They're just sitting there hoping that the Israelites will get bored and go home. That's not going to happen. So since the action isn't going on and in other places, we find that at this point in his life, counselors to David have already begun to tell him that it's time for him to let the younger guys do all the fighting and let him show up at the outskirts of the battle to encourage his troops and to to lay a strategy with his commanders, but that he didn't need to be that involved. That's in other parts, and we'll, we'll, we'll see that later on. So instead of staying out there in the encampments around uh, the city walls, the city of Rabbah, David stays in Jerusalem. So this... This gives us King David, who has run off this unbelievable string of successes, starting with how he handled taking the kingdom 
in the first place. How the, he didn't have to kill Saul. It, it was just all worked out for him. And then all of the people came together. Just unbelievable for these people to come together like this, these 12 tribes, and all agree wholeheartedly that David was their king after he had ruled in Judah for three years and now, or seven years, I'm sorry, for seven years, and now for the rest of his reign, he will rule in all of Israel. And the people are very happy. They're prosperous. Everything that David has done has been right. All of the decisions have been correct decisions. So the, the nation is prosperous. It has, has the strongest army, the best soldiers in that whole area of the world. Unquestionable leadership coming from David has proven himself very capable on and off the battlefield as an administrator, as a builder. So he had made a great name for himself. He's feeling real good about himself at this point in time. So he's back in Jerusalem. He's in his castle. He's in the king's house staying in Jerusalem. It came to pass at the time of evening that David arose from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And he saw a woman bathing from the roof. And the woman was very beautiful. Now let's stop here. It started with David's idleness. He didn't have a lot to do, apparently. And it can happen that a, a man, I guess, could, could walk upon a, a scene where a woman is indecent. And it should stop, see, Right here at the semicolon, it should have stopped there. He saw a woman bathing from the roof. He didn't have to describe her, you see. He, he could have just, he said, ooh, ah, ouch. Let me go back in. But he stayed long enough so that he could tell the scribe, this is a good looking woman. She's very beautiful. His rooftop, now in, in that ancient city, the rooftops would have been pretty much level, but there would be a short wall so that one rooftop, you couldn't stand on one and necessarily peer over to the top of another because it was a rather uh, common thing for people to take a bath, to bathe up on the roof in this time of year because it was it was hot. It was the warm time of year. That's why we're told up here that it was the time of year that kings go out to do battle. But the king's house is higher. Walks out, having awakened from his late afternoon nap, saw a woman bathing from the roof. And the woman was very beautiful. Okay. You took a second look, but still, can't you just leave it at that? Nope. Here goes. Verse three. And David sent and inquired about the woman. I mean, you know, he, he has, let me think. I think he has eight wives, I think. Uh, counting Saul's daughter that he had put away, but still she's in his household. He had eight wives. 
No, I won't say that. But <laughs> good grief, man. Um, but he wants that woman. And he inquired about the woman. I like the answer this guy gave. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba? Now that doesn't mean that the guy was out there watching her when David was. It means that he knows who David's neighbors are. The woman over there losing in the house. Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? Eliam, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Now, Uriah is connected to uh, the mighty men of David. His grandfather was a mighty, one of David's mighty men. And his father was a, an important person in the, in the armed forces of David. I'll tell you who it is. Her husband is one of your soldiers, Uriah the Hittite, whose granddaddy, one of your mighty men, whose daddy has an important Position as his wife. Okay, should have stopped there. King David, at this point, feels like an invincible man, obviously. So he craves this woman. James says, lust, when it is conceived, now what is it conceived with? You have to have two things to come together for a conception. Lust has to be joined with the desire. Lust, when conceived, bears a baby that's called sin. And when that baby is fully delivered, it brings forth death. That's the book of James. Jesus himself said, to gaze upon a woman with lust in your heart causes you to commit adultery in your heart. Well, this is where David is. He he has, he has laid aside not only his battlefield armor, but he's also laid aside his spiritual armor. And he has this craving for this woman and he will have her. So next, after the craving comes the capitulation David sent messengers and he took her and she came to him and he lay with her 
And she was purified from her uncleanliness and she returned to her house. Now, here's what this all means. There's an interesting passage in 1 Kings chapter 1 that, that talks about David and Bathsheba after they have already been married for a while and Solomon is born. But the implication and the description of the relationship is almost like the implication is that while it sounds here like he took her by force, that's not really what the Hebrew word, the Hebrew is not that strong. But if, you know, these messengers probably would be soldiers, I don't know, they would be very official and they would come to her house and they would say to her, the king will see you. What you going to say? Well, she, she, you know, when she came to the king's house, she could have said, I mean, she could have quoted the commandment about adultery. She could have done a lot of things, but she didn't. He could have done a lot of things, but he didn't do the right things. So I read a, I, in the last three or four days, I read chapter after chapter of rabbinical scholars who tried to work out why this happened this way. There were so many escapes that David could have made or that Bathsheba could have made. So what's the deal? Well, you know, the Bible doesn't just come out and tell us, you know, she was, she was trying, she knew the king came out and walked on the river. Maybe he, you know, she would entice him. You know, I don't know. But here it says she was purified from her uncleanliness. And we started in Leviticus. This means that she had just completed her monthly cycle. And she was getting into the time of her month where she could get pregnant. Pregnant was a bad word when I was a kid. Couldn't say it. That's right. My mother, of course, kids are going to listen. Whenever your parents want to get private and silent or two adults, you know, you go, you get over and I want to hear this. And uh, mother was listening to this other woman and she said to mother, she's pregnant. That was a bad word in my day. I don't know why. The woman was married. You know, she's going to have a baby. So here we are. She could, she was in the time of that month where she could get pregnant. And she returned to her house. She came to him, he lay with her. Oh, yeah, she was purified from her uncleanliness. And she returned to her house. So this, this story, you know the story. As a matter of fact, I couldn't believe one of the commentaries I read. <laughs> this guy 
in introducing the story of David and Bathsheba said, okay, I won't say it. He said, this story should encourage us. That's what he said. And then he quoted how sinful um, the patriarchs had been. Abraham, he lied. Noah was, got drunk, you know, and all these other things. Peter denied the Lord with cursing and swearing. His point was that the grace of God can, can stretch out into our lives. But <laughs> he's, he introduces the story of David and Bathsheba by saying, this story should encourage us. Let me tell you something. It should not encourage us. And we're going to see why in the last verse of this chapter. And maybe I should have made this plural, conspiracies, because it just gets worse. I told you about old uh, um, the, the big governor from Coleman, uh, big... Uh, yeah, Jim Folsom. We used to fit him in clothes. His sons would bring him to our store. And I told you about how he compared being a preacher with being a politician. <laughs> Go figure. And um, he, he said about when he was, in, he was in such a mess way back in the time when he was governor. I wasn't alive then, I don't think, but. They were accusing him of things and all kind of stuff. And I don't know if he's guilty or not, but he said, people are going to sling mud. And when they do, my mama told me not to wipe it off and make it worse. You just let it dry and it'll fall off by itself. Well, David hadn't learned that wisdom. One thing leads to another and his sin is piled upon sin. Conspiracies, and the woman conceived. And she sent and she told David, and she said <laughs> exactly what David wanted to hear, right? I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. <laughs> I don't know if the Lord allows this or not in heaven. It would be informative though, it would seem, although all sin is put away, and I guess this won't happen, to have portraits of the looks on the faces of Bible characters when certain things happened, like when the Lord looked at Peter and after the cock had crowed, you know, and he looked at Peter, the Bible says. Peter had just with cursing and swearing and denied the Lord three times. And the look that must have been on David's face when she sent him a message. I'm pregnant. He has a plan. It's a horrible plan. David sent to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah the, to David and David came to him. David inquired concerning the welfare of Joab, made small talk. And the peace of the people and the welfare of the war, how are things going on the front? David said to Uriah, I want you to go down to your house and wash your feet. Now that's a Hebraism 
It's a Hebraism that says, I want you to go home and I want you to wash up and enjoy your wife while you're off from the war right now. Well, you see where David is headed with this. He wants it to look like it's Uriah's child. Uriah departed from the king's house and there followed him the king's food. Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. This is a noble man, Uriah. He's more noble really than David here. They told David saying, Uriah did not go down to his house. And David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths and tents. My Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open field. They're on the battlefield. And shall I come to my house to eat and to drink and to live with my wife? Surely as you live and surely as I live, I won't do this. My heart and my mind are on the battlefield with with my compatriots, my, my, my fellow soldiers. We're there under your direction. I serve my king better on the battlefield. I can't do this because I know what my fellow soldiers are suffering. David said to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow and I will send you off. Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and tomorrow and David called him and he ate before him and he drank and he made him drunk. And he went out in the evening to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but to his house he would not go. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, place Uriah at the forefront of the fiercest battle and then go away from him, withdraw from him so that he will be hit and die. He'll be killed. It came to pass when Joab kept watch upon the city that he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew that there were valiant men, that is, of the other side. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell. Now, David's sin has, will cost Uriah his life but not just him, because the only way to do this was for Uriah's squad to go and to go to the place where he knew that the, most, that the fiercest warriors of the Ammonites would throw their spears and shoot their arrows and kill the men who in such a small group were in a pitiful way trying to storm the city. Some of the servants of David fell. You see what it says? The servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite also died. And you can tell in this that Joab is not happy about this. And Joab sent and told David all the facts concerning the war. And he charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the king all of the facts concerning the war, if the king's anger is aroused and he says to you, 
Why did you approach so near to the city to wage battle? Did you not know that they would shoot from upon the wall? In other words, why did you include other men like this who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubachit? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone upon him from the wall? And that's a story out of the book of Judges. He died there, Tebez. Why did you approach the wall? If the king says this, if he gets angry and he says, why did you do that? And you shall say, oh, by the way, Uriah the Hittite is dead. And the messenger went and he came and told David all that Joab had sent him for. And the messenger said to David, when the men prevailed over us and came out against us to the field, then we came upon them as far as the entrance of the gate and the shooters shot at your servants from upon the wall and some of the king's servants died and also your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David sort of brushed it off. It's a callous, a, a callous man who thinks more of himself than anybody else in the world and he elevates himself to a position that is not his. And so he's going to have one cover up after another. And David said to the messenger, so shall you say to Joab, let not this thing displease you for the sword devours many times this number. Strengthen your battle against the city and destroy it and encourage him. Don't worry about this. That's just a few men. Don't worry about it. We've lost a lot more than that when we've clashed swords on the battlefield. The wife of Uriah the Hittite heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead. And she mourned over her husband. And the mourning period passed and David sent and gathered her to his house. She became his wife and she bore him a son. And the, here, here it is. This is why such a story should never encourage us. The thing that David did was displeasing to Yahweh. Now this story actually doesn't conclude until the next chapter. And God willing, we'll, we'll get that next time when Nathan finally confronts an unrepentant, hard-hearted David who thinks that he just owns the world and that he can he can control events so that he can escape with whatever he wants to do until the Lord sends the prophet. Here's the point. Bleeding on the battlefield for David would have been a lot easier for him than what happens to him when he stayed home. David will, David's greatness has reached its peak. He will never be that kind of man again, never. His life will fall apart. His family will fall apart. There will be one tragedy after another. His own son will try to take the throne from his father and he has to hide from his own son. His son is killed. 
He loses others and terrible things happen within his family and his life falls apart. To give you a preview of the next chapter, after the parable of the lamb and and all, David knows that God has caught up to him. Because Nathan, when David said, let me have that man that mistreated those people and killed that little animal, you let me have him. Nathan said, you're the man. And it all came crashing down on David. Now he repented. We're going to finish Leviticus that we're doing on Sunday nights. I think we're going to finish it on a Sunday night this month. And I'm going to, after that, I'm planning, I have planned and and preparing to complete book two of the Psalms. You know, the Psalms has what five books. Interestingly, The part that we'll begin with in book two begins with Psalm 51, which is David's psalm of repentance. In that next chapter, chapter 12, David gets all repentant and cries and all this stuff. And Nathan responds to him. God has forgiven you of your sin, but you have given great cause for the enemies of God to rejoice and blaspheme his name. David never escapes it from then on. One tragedy after another, one reckless event after another, until finally at the age of 70, He dies as a broken old man when he passes the kingdom on to Solomon. Well, we're going to stop there and uh, we'll have our deacon prayer time.